Welcome to Victory Church Winchester, Virginia's weekly podcast. Our desire is that you will find Victory a place to call home. Please take a moment to subscribe and share. Here is this week's message from our Sunday morning worship experience. If you would, turn in your Bible this morning to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. We're going to begin reading at verse 1. What to remind you, um, also, um, you can worship the Lord with your giving. Um, you can do that by check, online, follow the QR code. We have the Victory Church app if you want to follow um, that and, um, and, and be able to worship the Lord with your giving there as well. You can give it to the ushers as you leave today. My wife, Angela, and I, if you're a guest with us, we'd love to meet you as you leave at the connection, uh, the guest connection um, table here as you go. And uh, just glad to have you here with us this morning. I want to give you permission this morning. I'm going to give you permission to be a troublemaker. As your pastor, I want to tell you that, you know, if you're not making at least a little bit of trouble for Jesus, you're probably not faithfully following Jesus. You see, because in the culture and the society in which we live that is often um, anti-God or hostile or the fallen world in which we live, when you point other people to God when they're not following him, you set yourself up to be labeled as a troublemaker. Why? Because you're not going along to get along. Sometimes you're um, upsetting the status quo or you're pushing buttons. You're rocking the boat. Come on. Maybe you're upsetting the apple cart, right? You're stepping on toes. And so to follow Jesus is to follow in the way to be a troublemaker. And Jesus was a troublemaker. He uh, caused so much trouble that ultimately it led to his death because he was upsetting the religious and the political and the social structures of his day that kept people down, that kept people oppressed, that kept people uh, dealing with injustice and issues um, where people were marginalized and people were outcast. And so he came and he preached the truth but he preached it in love. He preached it in a way in which um, he, he was telling people what the truth was. He was standing for what the truth was. But yet he said it in a way that was not disrespectful. It was not in a way that was um, problematic in terms of his presentation. But the truth is the truth. And the truth can oftentimes set people. Not everyone as a follower of Jesus is going to like you. So you have to have the courage to obey God regardless of the consequences. This is what Luke chapter 9 verse 23 in which Jesus said, If you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. In fact, Jesus said, Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and insult you. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for great is your reward in heaven. Luke chapter 6 verse 20 through 23. And so in our new collection of teaching called Troublemakers, in which we started last week, I want to talk to you about how to upset the status quo. Come on. About how to agitate a little bit. I want to take you from lukewarm, casual, do-nothing Christianity to an on-fire faith in which you're making an impact for Jesus. And so today I want to share with you from this subject the mentality of a troublemaker, the mentality of a troublemaker. We're reading in the book of Daniel, chapter 1 and verse 1. Follow along with me through the Victory Church app, or you have your Bible or your, your Bible app as well. 
In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So what's going on here is that God's people in Israel uh, are being besieged by the world empire, the, the dominant empire that day known as Babylon. Babylon was an ungodly, secular, pagan society. And they were coming into Jerusalem to conquer it, to besiege it. So this is not like, you know, getting along, mannerly, they're coming in nicely. No, they're coming to, to take over. They're coming to take people, take people's freedom. They're coming to kill. They're coming to upset. They're coming to take over. And the Lord, listen to this, they besieged it in verse 2. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. And so what this means is, I want to take, just explain this to you. When it says that the Lord delivered them into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, what it's saying is that oftentimes uh, when we turn, well, when we turn away from God and his ways, and when we walk in our own ways, the Lord will allow us to get the results of walking away from him. In Romans chapter 1, this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He says uh, that if you, if you do what is evil or if you do what is wrong, the Lord will give you over to yourself. So the Lord won't make us follow him. The Lord gives us free will. And we can either choose to follow him, but if we don't choose to follow him, we walk outside of his will. And as a result, his hand is off of us. And through our own decisions, we lead ourselves to our own destruction. And this is what is happening as God's people are turning away from the Lord. His hand is off of them. And it says that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, was delivered into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put, the treasure, put in the treasure of the house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court of officials, to bring into the, ki uh, the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. This is all the single ladies, all the single ladies. This is what they're looking for. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature, that's important, of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were entered into the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, uh, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Michelle, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. I want to share with you this message this morning, the mentality of a troublemaker. Last week we talked about the ministry of a troublemaker. This week I want to talk to you about the mentality of a troublemaker. Will you bow your heads and your hearts with me in prayer this morning? Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather around your word. It says in your word that the entrance of your words bring light. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so, Father, we thank you for the direction that is provided through your word. Lord, this morning we haven't come here, Lord, to sing a song or just attend a service. 
or to hear a sermon, but we've come into this moment right now to hear from you. God, we long to experience your presence and your power. Lord, change us, Lord, from the inside out as we leave this place. Let us not be the same as we, come, we came. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 So when you're driving on the interstate or whether you're going, um, you know, through, through town or whatever and you're driving, one of the things that can greatly frustrate me, and I don't know about you, but I probably share this with most of you, is when you're driving in your lane and somebody is getting in your lane. Like, this is my lane. Don't get in my lane. And if you do get in my lane, you know the first thing that I'm going to do when you get in my lane? I'm going to lay on the horn and let you know, hey, this is my space. You're now encroaching in in my lane, in my space. And so I got to blow the horn at you. I got to wake you up. I got to let you know, hey, I'm right here. Don't get into my lane. You know, our society has God-given lanes Lanes of authority. You know, there's spiritual authority. There is parental authority. There's government authority. There's educational authority. There's workplace authority. See, my lane, though, as a pastor, as the pastor of this church and, and pastor's uh, lanes of authority in general and in the church is spiritual authority. And God has given us the responsibility to speak on his behalf, to be able to say, not these are the words that are coming from me, but these are the words that are of God. See, we don't have to write anything new. We don't have to do anything new. We just have to tell the people what God is saying, what the Lord's word says. And so I have to answer to God with what it, it, my responsibility is to answer to God with the people that he's given me, the oversight and the responsibility that he's given me, and this is my lane. And I want to, in this collection of messages, you know, kind of just blow the horn because some of the things that have historically been in the lane of a pastor, of a spiritual authority, now all of a sudden there are things, there's other Voices. There's other uh, things that are coming and that are speaking uh, into the spiritual authority lane. And so I've got to blow the horn. I've got to talk to you and clarify to you about what our lane is, what, what we are to be about, and what we are to believe as the followers of Jesus. You see, because what you believe, it really does matter a whole lot. You see, because your beliefs affect your behavior, and your behavior will direct you to your destiny, right? Your behavior is where your life will end up when you make decisions. It will determine the direction of your life. And so maybe through this collection of teachings, which we started last week, you might say, Pastor Keith, you're becoming political. And I would say to you, I'm not becoming political. I'm being biblical. And what it would tell me is, though, that you've maybe interpreted... Maybe you've interpreted that the things that are political should not be biblical because maybe you've been influenced by our culture to stay, you know, to, to keep the biblical things in the biblical lane or the political things in the political lanes. But I come to tell you this morning that the culture, the, the, the dominant pillars, the areas of influence in our culture like the family and religion 
and education and business and media and entertainment and science, all of these major pillars of society are now telling us what we should and what we should not believe, what we should stand for and what we should not stand for. And I've come today to you to blow the horn and to clarify who we are as a people and what exactly it is that we are to stand for as the people of God. And so this morning, I want to talk to you that there, about the issues that are coming up and that have been coming up in our culture, issues such as the sacredness and dignity of human life. We have to speak on that. Marriage as defined by God, we have to speak on that. Gender identity, we have to speak on that. Education and the role of parents. Family structure, parenting, sexual immorality, governmental authority, freedom of speech and religion, justice, equality, race and ethnicity. There is a battle going on for what you believe. This morning I want to share with you this thought from this message. If you believe the wrong thing, you will fall for anything. If you believe the wrong thing, you will fall for anything. And the context of our passage today is that the Babylonian Empire was coming to Jerusalem to besiege it. This was a godless, secular society, a pagan society that they wanted to come and they wanted to dominate the people of God. They wanted to take over their society. And here's what the Babylonians did, all right? This is the strategy. This is what they wanted to do. They wanted to come and take the people of God to dominate them, to conquer them, but they were, they were not stupid, right? They were secular, but they were not stupid. They were actually very smart because their strategy was to go into Jerusalem, take the people, and transport them back out to Babylon. Why? Because they knew that if they could separate them from their family, if they could separate them from their faith, if they could separate them from their culture and their belief system, that they could do whatever they wanted to do with them. And the goal was to take these nice young men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, was to take these Hebrew young men and to turn them and to transform into Babylonians. I believe that this is the play of the enemy even today in our society. You see, the enemy wants to brainwash us. He wants to come and he wants to influence. He, he, wants, us to take, he wants to take out the kingdom principles, the beliefs, the values, the morality that we know of to, walk in the, to live in the scripture, to live in the light of the truth. He wants to water those things down. He wants to cause us to compromise, to bow down, to live a casual Christian life, to accept the things of the culture. But God has called us not to, to blend in, but God has called us to be different. God has called us to stand for what is right and for what is true. And the way that we're going to do that is if we believe what the scripture teaches, because the scripture teaches us what is right and what is true. So the mentality this morning of a troublemaker, and I'm probably not going to get through this message. We'll have to continue it um, in the following weeks. But the mentality of a troublemaker this morning is I want you to, to know that if you're going to be a troublemaker for Jesus, if you're going to stand out in a world that is bowing down and compromising, if you want to follow Christ, the mentality of a troublemaker is to resist separation. Resist separation. Daniel chapter 1 verse 3, then the king ordered 
Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. You see, they were trying to get these young, godly, God-oriented Hebrews and to make them Babylonians, to cause them to compromise and to be casual so they could brainwash them and then they would put them into Babel and ingratiate them into Babylonian culture. This was a three-year process. This was not just a quick HR, you know, Babylon 101 orientation. No, this was a well-thought-out strategy, a tactic, a process in which the Babylonians were trying to brainwash these Hebrews. This is what the enemy would like to do to us today. And the first tactic that he has, that he uses against us, is to separate us. To separate us from the people of God, to separate us from the scriptures, to separate us from attending church, to separate us from all that is godly and all that is right. To separate us so he can have his way with us. Now, over the last three years, remember we had the coronavirus pandemic, and we've seen that as a church. We've learned that people that are separated and isolated are increasingly vulnerable. Increasingly vulnerable. And this is the strategy of the enemy. You see, because isolation eats away at your ability to be resilient to be able to fight off the things that come to harm you. If you separate and isolate yourself, you're setting yourself up for destruction. You're leading yourself into a vulnerable place. Your mentality is going to be vulnerable. Your, your accountability, your ability to walk faithfully with God is going to be compromised because you are not in relationship with God and with God's people and in relationship with a, a, a culture and a church, a group of people that are going to keep you going along the right path. As, as your pastor, I'm always concerned when I see people isolate and separate. I know that this is the strategy of the enemy. This is the first thing that the enemy would do to take you and to bring destruction into your life, to take you and to separate you from the people of God. I've seen that 100% of the time, it always begins with separation from the body of Christ that leads to destruction. You see, you don't just need people in your life that tell you what you want to hear, but you need people in your life that tell you what you need to hear. People that love you and that care about you, that really know you and really care about you, will, will not just tell you what you want to hear, they'll tell you what you need to hear. And this is why the scripture says that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You need to have people in your life, because if you don't have the right people in your life that are going to keep you on the right path toward following God, you're going to get separated from your faith community, and then you will believe anything, you'll fall into stupid, you'll do uh, what you wouldn't normally do, come on, you'll jump into crazy, and you'll get swept away. So the responsibility for a follower of Jesus is to resist separation and cling to connection. Cling to connection. Secondly, what was the strategy of this Babylonian empire? The strategy of their culture was not just to begin to separate them from their family and their friends and from the word of God and from God himself, but the second strategy was to identify them. It was to change who they were by giving them a different name. They wanted to give them a different identity. So we have to refuse 
identification. That's the mentality of a troublemaker. I'm refusing for you to identify me. They wanted to give them a new identity, and so they changed their names. The old names carried godly meaning. The name Daniel means God is my judge, but it was changed to Belteshazzar, which means Bel protect his life. Hananiah means the Lord shows grace, but his new name was translated Shadrach, which means command of Aku, the moon god. Mishel means who is like God, and the new name Meshach means who is Aku. Azariah means the Lord is my help, but Abednego means servant of Nebo, one of their gods. So the name of the true and living God was replaced by the gods of the Babylonian culture. Wanted to re-identify, to change what they thought about themselves so he could change what they believed because he could change what they believed he would change. They would change how they behave. They would change then the direction of their life. You see, your name is your identity. And if you were to come to me and you were to say, hey, Keith, I would look at you and I would respond to you because that's my name. That's my identity. That's what I've always been called by. Now, if you called out to me and you said, hey, Joe, I wouldn't look that way because my name is not Joe. I identify as Keith because that's my name and that's who I've always been called. And so we can't forget what God has called us. As a follower of Jesus, you are a child of God. You are a son and daughter of the Most High God. You have to remember what your spiritual mothers and your fathers and your pastors and your teachers have taught you and what they have said about you, what God's Word says about who you are in Christ. Let me read this to you, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21. This is what the Scripture tells you about who you are as a follower of Jesus. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. And this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, and God made them who knew no sin made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. (laughs) So we have to find out, discover, and remind ourselves as who God has said about us. I do this with my children all the time, with Anthony and Ava. You know, I do this all the time when when we've got a situation or a circumstance or something that happens either at, at school or wherever, whatever we're doing. I always want to remind them, hey, look, you're a cross. You're a cross and you don't do what everybody else does. I know what they said. I know what they did. I know what everybody, but you're a cross. And we don't act that way and we don't think about it that way. And we don't live to please other people, but we live to please God. You're a cross. So we have to remind our children who they are, what they stand for, because if we don't tell them who they are and what they stand for, they're going to be swept away, they'll be dragged away, they'll be influenced. The world and the culture will tell them who they are and convince them of what they should be and what they should do. But your role as a follower of Jesus is to find out who God says that you are and to refuse identification because identification will cultural identification will cause confusion this is what the culture does the culture wants 
to change your name, wants you to change what you think about yourself. There was a teacher in California recently, kindergarten teacher that was telling children that were five-year-old boys that they don't have to listen to what their dad says that they are. They don't have to listen that you are boys, but you get to decide who you are, whether you're a boy or a girl. This is the strategy of the culture to rename us, to re-identify us, to cause confusion. This confusion is also shown in states where they're issuing birth certificates, right? They're issuing birth certificates that are blank, that are empty, and they're giving that birth certificate to parents, and they're saying, you can determine the sex of your son or your daughter, or if they have no sex, uh, sexual identification whatsoever. Just to be clear, in spite of what society says and what the culture says, we believe that God created people, male and female, and that's it. This is not something that you get to choose, that you get to vote on. This is something that you are born with. This is what you are born with. So maybe you have to pull in your toes this morning because you've accepted the lie that people's sex is separate from their psychology. It is not. The two are connected. You are created in the image of God, male and female. He created them. And maybe it's the culture that's trying to brainwash you into becoming someone who God never said that you were. This is the, the tactic of the enemy, but the mentality of a troublemaker is to resist separation, to refuse identification. Next, the mentality of a troublemaker is to refute indoctrination. Refute indoctrination. To refute means to stand against and to disprove. You see, here's what they, they, they did. They came into Jerusalem. They wanted to separate them. They wanted to give them a new name. And, and ne- the next thing that they did was they wanted to teach them a new language and a new uh, literature. There are places in our society now where education has become indoctrination. And we've got wonderful teachers here at Victory Church in every age and stage and spectrum, and I know it, and I know that you guys can sometimes be frustrated because of what this, the culture's doing and what the systems are doing and the, the, the way that they're trying to squeeze you into their mold and they're causing you to try to have to compromise what your convictions are and tell you what you've got to teach oftentimes, but the reality and the truth is that we have to refute indoctrination because education will become indoctrination if we don't stand against what is wrong and stand for what is right and what is true. Part of new learning is the incorporation of a new language. And maybe over the last few years, you've heard about you know, some new language. I'm going to tell you, maybe share with you some of uh, this new language that's come about over the last few years. Words such as intersectionality, progressivism, critical theory, Critical race theory, critical gender theory, critical feminist theory. There's like a lot of critical ones there, but non-binary, transgender, deconstructionalist, historical revisionalist, post-colonialism, and blah, 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 and this and that. There's even a movement right now to get rid of the word pedophile because the word pedophile is actually offensive to those that would want to abuse children. And so 
They've, they're trying to, to come up with a new name, and they call it um, minor attracted, so that they don't offend people who want to sexually prey on minors. Why? Because the incorporation of a new language is the attempt to change the way that you think about it. It's the attempt to change the way you think about it. If they can change the way you think about it, you're starting to think to yourself, oh, this is okay. This is normal. This is not okay. This is not normal. This is the brainwashing tactic of Babylon to get you to change the way you think by changing the language in which they use. The cultural agenda is to indoctrinate you by adding a new language so you think differently and act differently according to the new language. Cultural indoctrination accompanies confirmation. And we know that the scripture says that, that you were not to be conformed, right? Do not be conformed, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, to this world. That word conform means squeezed into the mold of something. Don't be squeezed or conformed into the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove that which is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The mentality of a troublemaker is to refute indoctrination. There's even a politician, you might remember this from the gubernatorial race two years ago, and he said this statement. He said, parents have no right to speak into the education of their child. This was right here in Virginia in our backyard. He's saying this, that the system knows more about what your child needs than what you know about your, what your child needs. You birth them, but you don't have any right to steer them in the right direction. Leave that to the professionals. Leave that to the educational system. In other words, we have your child and we will indoctrinate them. And they say this, listen to this, they say this sincerely because they think they're right. They think they're doing the right call. They think they're in the right. They think they're doing the, 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 the right thing. And this is what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis warned us about this because he said that this is the most dangerous type of thinking. Uh, when, when you have someone who thinks to themselves that they're doing uh, what is right because it's their conviction. Let me read this to you. It's so powerful. Bear with me. C.S. Lewis said this, Of all tyranny, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under the robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be sa uh, satisfied. But those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. Their own conscience. Here's what I want to bring awareness of this morning. I'm challenging all parents and all grandparents to get in the game. Find out what is being taught in the schools. Find out what your, teach, your, your, your child's teacher believes. Find out what they stand for. Find out what's going on in the classroom. Get in the game. 
It's no longer time to sit on the sidelines and just send our kids to school because the culture wants to indoctrinate them. We have to stand for what God's word says, and we have to lead and guide our children in the truth. So a troublemaker's mentality is to refute cultural indoctrination and endorse Christian doctrine. And finally, I'm going to end with this. Thank you for your patience. And I know we've gone a little bit long this morning, but the mentality of a troublemaker is to refuse or resist separation, to refuse identification, to refute indoctrination, and finally, to reject remuneration. (laughs) Here's what remuneration is. They would be rewarded if they cooperated with the process. As long as you do what we're asking you to do, then things will go well with you. This is textbook getting people in line and getting them to comply. This was the strategy of Babylon. We're going to give you your diet and you have to eat this. We're going to tell you, you have to bow down to King Darius. But if you don't, you're going to be thrown into the lion's den. But if you'll go along and get along, you will be rewarded. This is textbook fear and then free. So we're going to try to put you in fear to get you to comply to do what we want you to do. And then we're going to give you something that's free. Have you heard about this? Maybe in the last few years. If you do this, you can get on the airplane. If you do this, you can go to the movie and eat at the restaurant. If you don't do this, you cannot come back to the office. The city of San Francisco's crime is so out of control that recently they took taxpayer dollars and they paid potential criminals $300 a month if they would not shoot people. This is how crazy things are getting. This is the, we'll reward you if you do this, but if you don't do this, then you're going to suffer the consequence. In Canada, there are pastors, listen to this, there are pastors that are protesting from the pulpit uh, regarding Bill C-4. This was passed in their legislation in January of 2022. If you're not aware of it, this controversial legislation that went into effect, it was fast-tracked through Parliament uh, without extensive debate. It describes that there is a myth, this is what they say, the myth that the belief that heterosexuality and side gender identity are preferable. Side gender means, you know, there's one man and one woman, right? This is a myth they're saying that homosexuality and side gender identity are preferable. And counseling that does not align with such a worldview now carries in Canada a potential five-year jail sentence. Do this or we will punish you. Do this and we will reward you. So I guess the question remains, what did Daniel do? Because I feel like this is instructional for you and I in the culture that we live in that is fallen, that's broken, that's sometimes, most times, anti-God. What did Daniel do? Well, Daniel wasn't a jerk. Come on. He wasn't obnoxious. He wasn't putting at his chest and pointing his finger. He wasn't obnoxious, but this is what he did. He, did, he, he, he took a bold stand, and he did not back down. In fact, he didn't want to eat the king's diet, so he asked for a religious exemption. 
in his workplace, and he asked for it respectfully. And you know what? He was better off. He was more healthy by doing things God's way. A few chapters later, he's being asked to bow down and pray to King Darius. If he bows down, he gets thrown into the lion's den. But if he complies, then things are easy for him. They will go along well for him. So what does he do? Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, the decree meaning that if you don't bow down to King Darius, you're going to get thrown into the lion's den, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. So what did he do? He didn't go stand in the back room with his music on and with, you know, in prayer. He opened his windows. He took a bold, a courageous, a consistent stand for what was right and for what was true. And you and I, we do the same thing when we take a stand for Jesus and we take a stand for what was right and for what was true. We don't compromise to the culture. We don't live a casual Christian life. We don't compromise but we make a bold and brave stand to live out our faith in front of others, desiring to please God in the midst of a culture that does not. So this is my prayer for all of us that call Victory Church their church, their family of faith. I'm praying that you and I and all of us will make a bold and courageous stand, that we will pray with windows open unashamed, boldly taking a stand for what is of God and for what is right. Our faith out front. Remuneration is to be rejected by a follower of Jesus. But then we receive, the, the solution to that is receive God's eternal reward. Listen to this. James chapter 1, verse 12, as I close here. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. Lord, my prayer is that for those of us that are here, that under the sound of my voice, in person, online, throughout the week, that we would be a people who pray with windows open. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Our vision is that you would experience Victory Church as a place to call home. We do this by encountering God through worship, embracing community through relationship, and expanding the kingdom of God through service. Find out more about Victory at victorywinchester.com.